This is the Super Sports Schools Podcast, bringing you stories of our future stars, powered by Spurs Stake Ranchers. One, two, three, go! Hello and welcome to another episode of the Super Sports Schools Podcast. On the 26th of July this year, the Olympic Games kick off in Paris. And throughout this season of the show, we're going to be bringing you content and interviews to build up to the Olympic Games. We'll chat to our future Olympians and hear from those who are going to this year's Games to find out why and how our schools are producing the Olympians of tomorrow today. We start with an interview with Caitlin Roeskrantz. She represented South Africa at the Tokyo Games in gymnastics, something just eight people had achieved before her. She was only 19 years old at the time and along with her teammate was one of the first females of color to represent South Africa in gymnastics at the Olympics. Her story is one of unlikely beginnings, overcoming adversity, passion, and triumphing over a disaster just six weeks out from the Olympic Games. Brought to you by Spur People with a Taste for Life, this is Caitlin Roeskrantz's story, and she definitely has a taste for gymnastics. Paris 24, that's what we're building up to this year. And it's going to be very exciting for all the athletes who are going to the Olympics for the first time. And for some of them, they're going to be returning. Caitlin understands that story very well of being young, going to the Olympics. Caitlin, welcome to the Supersport Schools podcast. We're going to talk about your whole journey. But first of all, welcome. Thanks for being here. And what is it like being an Olympian? So thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, Yeah, I think it's always been a massive dream of mine to call myself an Olympian. For the longest time, I didn't really know if it was going to be possible. You know, it was kind of just a goal. I was going by blindly, not knowing if I'd achieve it one day. And here I am sitting going for my second Olympic Games. So yeah, it's been a whirlwind of a journey, but every moment has been so worth it. Like I say, we're going to go through that whole journey in a few moments, but First, I just want to know, I was looking at your Instagram earlier today and I'm someone who loves a good title and things at the end of names. Like uh, in South Africa, we have our order of Mapungubwe, order of Ikamanga, those sorts of things, but they're U-O-L-Y. And I think that's a very exclusive club that you get to join having that at the end of your name. So I just, that's just something from me, from my nerdy side, that that's very cool to to have on your, at the end of your name. Uh, you you were part of the 2020 Olympics, which only happened in 2021 because of COVID. And you're just out of school, going to the Olympics for the first time in a sport that South Africa hasn't historically had huge representation in, in, in numbers or diversity. What was that experience like? Um, yeah, the Tokyo 2021 Olympic Games was definitely an original one, an original experience and something very different. Um, obviously, you know, growing up in the sport, I'd watched many Olympic Games. Well, I watched the 2012 and the 2016. And, you know, you see that, I mean, that is the pinnacle of the sport. That is where um, the best of the best are. And if you're one of them, you'll be there one day, you know. So um, you you also see that, like, picture of what the Olympics is supposed to be. And then, obviously, COVID hit. And that kind of changed everything. It changed the way we live and the way we had to do things completely. So it was, I don't know, it was very different. We, there were big changes that going into 2021, still in COVID, we kind of had to get used to. So competing with no spectators was, I think, one of the really big things that I think we had to like accustom ourselves to. Because I think for some people, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, that's actually nice because it's not that much pressure, which in the one breath, I'm like, maybe it wasn't a bad idea for my first Olympics. It's, you know, it's a massive stage and it not having, I think, anyone there in the one sense was maybe like a little less pressure. But I think in another breath, it was um, a difficult reality to, I think, you know, to understand that you are at the Olympic Games and you are, it's basically, it felt like we were at a random competition. And in gymnastics, <sighs> when you when you're busy, uh, competing, going through the motions, going through the moves, doing your routine, feeding off the energy of the crowd. Is, is that a big thing for you? So in your balancing, whether it was a good or bad thing, not having crowds? Um, from what I've kind of learned about myself over the years of competing is that 
I kind of thrive off of that. I never used to think that I did because uh, gymnastics is such a technical sport where, you know, every small movement, every nerve can, you know, kind of make or break you. So you would think that like not having that much pressure would help. But I think for me, I kind of learned that I started, I like performed well under pressure when we had, you know, an arena full of people um, cheering and supporting. It really did, I think, give me a next level of confidence in myself and in my routines. And also, I think just a different level of excitement to be able to go out there and showcase what I've been working on so hard and to really show where us as South Africans in gymnastics are at. So, yeah, I definitely think that I would, I'm, I'm excited to go to Paris to have spectators. Definitely. Yeah, I think now that you've been at one Olympics, you've kind of been introduced and obviously you've had the pressure of competing and you've been there with Team South Africa and now the difference is that you've got spectators and it's your second time. So now you're an experienced campaigner. You weren't alone competing at the 2020 Olympics for South Africa in gymnastics and there were quite a few historical firsts for South African gymnastics at the Olympics in Tokyo. So can you take us through those? Yeah, no, definitely. It was Tokyo 2020 was definitely a historic year for um, gymnastics in the Olympic history. It was, I was the first gymnast to um, obtain an outright qualification at the world championships, which had never been done before. And, and how does it normally happen or you, how did it happen before then? Um, yeah, so usually the gymnasts obtain the qualification through your continental birth qualification, so not at a world championships. So I was the first one to break through that barrier to achieve it at the world championships. And that's what also gave room to um, another participant qualifying at our African championships the next year, which my teammate Naveen Darius did, um, making us not only the first two gymnasts to make it to an Olympic Games, but also the two gymnasts, the first two gymnasts of color to do so. Wow. So a lot of historic firsts. And I think it's quite cool that you also were the first one to, to do it through the world, uh, champs, as you say, uh, opening that space up for someone to also qualify through the African champs because South Africa hasn't had a huge number of gymnasts at the Olympics. So we're going to go now, I think, or actually before we go back, I wanted to ask you about Team South Africa because there were, there were two of you as gymnasts, which was a first. But there's also the greater Team South Africa competing at the Olympics in all sorts of sports. What's the support like there? What's the camaraderie like there? Was everyone just so busy all the time that every now and then you see people from the other sports? How, what's it like in that Olympic village, especially under COVID? Because that must make it a bit different. Yeah, no, um, obviously I don't have anything to compare it to because it was my first Olympic Games, but it definitely was very different because I think obviously the COVID rules were very strict at the Olympic Village because um, COVID was still so contagious at the time. So, I mean, there were hectic rules. You had to like obviously wear a mask all the time. You needed to social distance. Um, everything was like barricaded. And um, I th from what I know, we also, I mean, if you tested positive for COVID, you your competition was done, you know, so I think everyone was very like, you know, don't come near me type of thing. But um, I mean, staying in the Olympic village was still an amazing experience. I mean, being among all the incredible athletes from all the different sporting codes, being in gymnastics, you are very like secluded in our own little world in gymnastics. So um, being in a village with all these big South African heroes, the swimmers, the athletes, it, it really was something very very inspiring to be among such greatness, I think, and be associated with that, that I was also one of those athletes. But yeah, no, it was a really special experience. And I think one of the most special parts of it was definitely the opening ceremony. That opening ceremony is such a cool part of the Olympics for the team, for the country. Everyone's out there, the flag, you all walk out, even with COVID, everyone walked out in the stadium in Tokyo I just think that's such an incredible thing to be part of. And I would think, having not competed at an Olympics or even watched one physically there, that when you walk out in that opening ceremony, that is the moment when it just feels real. I don't know. Is it like that? And what's going through your mind as you walk out? Yeah, no, it's definitely, I think, the one moment at the beginning of the Olympics that was a very surreal moment where everything, I think, really sunk in that wow, I've actually, I'm here, I'm at the Olympic Games, I've made it. And 
Um, I mean, before we went out, our coach told us that, you know, this is a really special moment, a once in a lifetime opportunity, and you really need to soak in and take in every moment of it. Yes, it's COVID and, you know, the situation and the circumstances are a bit different this time, but take it in nonetheless, you know, you never know if you're going to be at another one. So, yeah, I mean, hand in hand with uh, my teammate at the time, um, and still now, Naveen, we actually managed to squeeze ourselves like right on the side where we knew the camera would be. <laughs> we were like, because also we're so short amongst all the other athletes. So we were like, we can't be in the middle. Um, and yeah, I think as... No one's going to see you. No one's going to see us. Exactly. I'm like, this is my moment. So we made it out to the side. And um, I think, yeah, walking out of there and seeing all the dances, the lights, the music, you know, screaming when they announced Team South Africa and... Um, with the flag waving, it was really a very special moment. And I think all I could think was, thank God. You know, it's, it was such a beautiful, I think, God-ordained moment that I'd made it there. And that where, you re- where I really felt that everything has really been worth it. Wow, that's very special. Um, opening ceremony, all those wonderful emotions, but then you have to compete. And I'm sure that's completely different. So going into that, gymnastics, it's a very, very broad term. There's, there's a lot happening in gymnastics. So for us, can you explain what you compete in and, and how it works? But we'll, we'll go one step at a time before we, before we unpack what it was like to do it at the Olympics. What do you compete in? Okay. Yeah. So gymnastics is a very broad term in, t- in terms of that there's actually many different disciplines in gymnastics and I do specifically artistic gymnastics so that women's artistic gymnastics because you also get men's artistic which is similar but different apparatus um, but under women's artistic gymnastics you get you get four apparatus which is bar, beam, flow and vault bar are the two poles where you like swing around beam is obviously the plank-like object that is my enemy um and then you have floor which is obviously where you do like a dance choreography piece with tumbles and um, dance pieces and then you get vault where you run down a run up and jump on a springboard and like do a flip basically and land so yeah for me i am an i'm an all-around gymnast so i compete all four apparatus um but my favorite and my strength is bar um, the uneven bars has always been a favorite of mine and yeah i think it's also a big strength of mine and you say uneven bars because they are at different heights. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's quite interesting that gymnastics is one sport where the men's and women's, while you compete separately, what you compete in, it's it's not exactly the same. It's not like we're talking tennis where the court's the same size and that sort of thing. You've got different apparatus and that makes it quite interesting. Um, you say that the uneven bars are your favorite and you say that the beam is your nemesis. Is there any specific reason for that? Yeah, so um, I'll start with the easy one. Um, why I love uneven bars. Um, it was one of those where it's like, uh, it's corny, but I think love at first sight for me with bar. Like from a very young age, I just really understood bar. I understood how to swing. I was never really scared to learn new things. And I think my body really understood the way to swing. So I started progressing quite quickly on bar and um, putting a lot of, big things in my routine from quite a young age. And I think I also understood and figured out that this was a bit of a strength. So I wanted to pursue that and really try and work hard at it to see where, what I could get out of it. Um, but yeah, I think I say beam is my nemesis, but it's actually not true. I think I've had a rocky history with beam. Like we've not come, uh, we've come a long way, but it's cause I also used to get injured on beam a lot. And I went for a knee op in 2017 and it was from beam. But it's not, I'm not even terrible at beam. Beam isn't the actual nemesis vault is. <laughs> vault, yeah, I've never, I've always struggled with my feet. I've had quite a few recurring feet injuries. And because of that, vault was always very hard on my body and on my feet. So it was very difficult for me to always train vault. And I always just, then I'd pick up mental blocks and then I was out of vault. And vault is just a pain. Like, just scratch the lap, scratch it. <laughs> <laughs> just get rid of it completely yeah. uh, so you mentioned all round so you do compete in all four so let, let's go to the Olympics now where did you compete in, in all four and I think something else that's quite cool for people who might watch gymnastics at the Olympics but not really understand how it's scored and and how you actually get points and win, lose, how that all happens because we just know there are a whole lot of judges 
and they decide. But what what are they actually looking for? How does the scoring work? Take us into that. <laughs> oh gosh, this is like an extreme. You need like a, a course to understand gymnastics scoring. It's very complicated. High level. So if we're watching Paris 2024, we can say, I know what that number, whatever that number might be. Uh, I, I don't even know. Is it still between, well, I do know sort of that you can, there's there are different aspects to the score and the one can be up to 10 for execution. Yes. See, I'm using words though that other people aren't going to understand. So take that that high level explanation for us. When we see those numbers coming up, what they're meaning and, and how they've been arrived at. Yeah. So basically a gymnastics score, how you come to a gymnastics score, because I'll give you like an example. A score is usually from around between um, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, if you... Simone Biles, 15. Um, she is obviously the best of the best. But how that score is made up of, you have your execution. And your execution is basically they taking a mark or a few, a mark or a few away for every mistake that you make. So for every toe that you don't point, for every leg you bent, for every turn that's a bit too late, all those things, there's obviously a guideline of these are the deductions. This is how you do it perfectly. Everything that's not perfect, they deduct. And that comes out of your execution score out of 10. Okay, so that starts at 10. Yeah. Um, does it start at 10 or does it start somewhere else? And then like if you do extra well, it goes up or is it? Yeah, so that's the first component of the score okay. is the, the execution that's out of 10. So if you obviously, okay, maybe you, you score an 8 out of 10 for your execution after they do all the deductions. For, onto that 8, they add your difficulty. So your difficulty, you in senior Olympic level in women's artistic gymnastics, you have eight, sorry, you have eight composition requirements that you need to have in your routine. And you can then compose your routine however you want, but you just have to have those specific eight um, requirements. So you have to have like a turning element. You have to have a release. So you have to let go of the bar. You can choose what type of let go of the bar you want to do, that type of thing. And all the different elements have different values. So if you like maybe on bar, not a really good bar worker, you're not going to really choose a very high difficulty. You're going to try and just do what you can, do what you have to and get off. So, but you so your difficulty will be a bit low, but if you executed it really well, you might still score like an average 12. But if you um, get quite good execution, but you also did a lot of difficulty that was added to that execution, you'll get a high 13 type of thing. So that is in essence how gymnastics scoring works. So there's actually a bit of tactics involved in you deciding what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, uh, the strengths and weaknesses, balancing that, thinking I can execute this perfectly at a high difficulty, this I'm just going to do at a low difficulty, get it done. And then there are a whole lot of judges watching you and they decide together or does it average what they think or so how the judging works basically you have two different judging panels so the one panel is only execution okay and the one panel so they is look only at difficulty. those they're, they're just watching for difficulty they're and just they're watching just watching execution, for execution. Okay. Yeah. and then once you with the execution each judge will obviously do their own they do their own execution what based off what they see so very subjective um but they then take the average out of all of those for the execution and in the difficulty you have a head difficulty judge and all the other difficulty that will just like check with her that they all got the same score because difficulty i mean it's kind of factual you did the skill it's that value that's how many points it's worth and then you add everything in the routine that's what it should be and then they add the two scores and that's how you get your final score. Wow. Okay. No, I, th I think it helps to understand where the numbers are coming from because people who might only watch gymnastics every four years when it's on at the Olympics aren't necessarily going to, to know what the numbers mean. They'll just know this one's higher than that one. Uh, and they could have a bit of an intuition feeling, oh, that was very good. And then it's a high score. So I think it's quite cool to break that down. Spurs got the breakfast you're looking for. Cheese griller breakfast, got it. Avon toast, got that too. Carb conscious option, then you bet. We have 15 delicious breakfasts for you to choose from till 11 every morning. Like our unreal breakfast with two rashes of crispy back bacon, two large eggs, golden chips, grilled tomato, toast, and jam for just 56.90. T's and T's apply. Get up people with a taste for life now let's talk about you actually doing your routine at the olympics actually competing at the olympics what was it like the first time you go out to do it 
Is it just like any other performance, you, uh, any other competing, you just let the process take over? Or are you thinking, well, this is this is it? Um, yeah, no. So competing at the Olympics was one of those competitions where it was, I think I needed to have a balance of both of those thoughts where in the one breath, I'm like, gosh, this is the Olympic Games, you know, and you're not, you naturally want to have a very good competition. But at the same time, mentally for you to not I think psych yourself out because oh my word it's the Olympic Games I can't mess it up you also need to bring yourself back to the fact that it's also just another competition and that's the way I went into it that as much as I wanted to do amazing you know on the stage it was already um, an achieved goal just getting there and that's kind of the mentality that I went in with that I was privileged to just be there I qualified that was already the hardest part you know so I really just wanted to enjoy the moment and take it as I would any other competition. That at the end of the day, it's just another competition that I have the opportunity to, you know, think the same thing and kind of take it as it comes. And that's kind of what I did. And it really worked. What are you looking to do better for 2024 differently for these coming Olympics in Paris now that you've gone to an Olympics, uh, you say the big thing for you was to qualify. It's the dream often for many people is just just to get there first. Now you've got there and you've got there again. So is there anything changing in the process and your mindset? Because now that you've experienced it, how are you looking at Paris 24? So coming off of Tokyo um, 2020, obviously going to those games and having actually a personal best score at the time, um, it really, I think, gave me a lot of confidence to start trusting myself more. And that was something when I decided to go for the next cycle and decided that, okay, I want to go for Paris. My resolution to myself was that I need to trust myself a lot more that, you know, I was always, I could get very anxious around competition time of this not working out and this going wrong and this and this. And instead of just trusting my preparation. And I think I was, I proved to myself over and over that, I can trust myself, you know, at the Olympics in Tokyo, I actually picked up an injury like six weeks before, pretty major injury. And it was not ideal timing. And it was six weeks before. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It was, and it was actually, I picked it up at a competition that I was doing at, as a friendly, just to get back into the competition scene before I went to the Olympics. So in the competition, I didn't even need to do it. And I was in such good shape and it was like a bit of a freak accident. And Ended up flying home because it was in. Was Egypt. it on the beam? It was on vault. Oh, okay. Actually, so that's, that's why you. The, that's why you brought up vault. Yes, that's where the changed your mind. Yeah. The enemy started with vault, but yeah, and I obviously had to come back. I had two major ligament tears in my ankle. This is literally like six, seven weeks before we left, and I was like, "This is not the time." Um, when, when, when you first had the injury, were you thinking it's done? Yeah, I, I, I can't tell you. I think I, I almost feel like I can relive that moment. I know exactly, like I can replay it in my head, exactly how it was that I landed that vault. And it, the pain was so sharp in my, it was, it actually felt like it was in my shin. It didn't even feel like it was my foot. I thought I like stabbed my shin, TMI. But I literally, I was like, oh my gosh, okay. I still landed on my feet. It was actually a really good vault. I said, I don't know what happened on the landing. And then I tried to like not limp off because I'm like, oh my God, my coach will kill me if like she sees me limping. And then I just went to sit and I started bawling my eyes out because all I could think was, I screwed it. It's done. Like I, and I started crying and they, I still actually competed bar right after because we just taped it up. And I was like, at that point I thought, no, I'll, it's, I'm maybe in shock. I can shake it off a little and I'll feel how it is. I literally did a bar routine, did a landing and that pain was excruciating. And I literally presented and I fell. I was like, there's no way I'm going to finish this competition. Ended up going to the hospital in Egypt and because I, I was scared that I fractured it because the way the pain was so bad. And they're like, no, there's no fractures. And where it was? It was, so it felt like when it happened, it was in my lower shin. Yeah. But immediately after it happened, my ankle swelled up. So okay. it was, I don't know, it was very, that's why I was like, I think we need x-rays because I thought yes. I'd like snap my shin or something. Yeah. And they were like, no, um, there's no bone breaks. But obviously it was so swollen and I couldn't walk that we're like, okay, we made the decision to go straight back home, get a sonar done. And it was two major ligament tears, which was supposed to be like six to eight weeks of recovery. 
And I was like, do my position. You know, there's no way that's happening. So Olympics in six to eight yeah, weeks time. In, yeah. after and and it's not like you, weeks. it's not like you can just chill for those six to eight weeks. No, not at all. I before think before you go to the biggest competition of your life. Of so my life. J- just to put it into perspective, you've had this fairly catastrophic injury just before the Olympic games. You go to the Olympic games at what? 19 and a personal best score. So what on earth happened <laughs> no, in those six to eight weeks? Uh, um, definitely a lot of prayer. A lot of prayer. I prayed so much, but we, I ended up going to the physician, obviously, after he told me what was wrong. He, we did platelets, red blood platelets treatment. I don't even know what it is, but basically they like extract blood and then they like spin it in some machine and then they take the plasma from your blood and inject it into the torn ligament. So it speeds up your healing. Okay, so it helps it to heal faster. Yeah, faster. So I had to go for two rounds of that. The most excruciating thing I've ever went through, worse than what it felt like to injure my ankle. It was terrible. I had to then also go for cortisone. And I mean, we, I was doing aggressive physio, rehab, pool training, everything we could to just start getting me like mobile again because for the next like three weeks I could barely walk properly um started pushing to try and run by like week four and literally it was I think a week and a half before we left I only started vaulting <laughs> again started and the, and not like started and it was good started and it was terrible <laughs> but I think by the time I got to the games um there was also obviously physios there and they took such good care of me that you know we I don't know how, but I ended up having a personal best performance. And so when you say a personal best, does it add all the apparatus together or is it for one of them specifically? So in your competition, is it for, is it an overall thing? Like you win for all of them or is it for each one? So um, for me, it means that my overall score was the highest that I've actually ever achieved here internationally. And so when people win, like, will you win a gold medal for the bar or is it for the all round um i mean it's usually they'll specify you know if they say but for me i'm i mean i'm an all around gymnast but i think if i had the potential to win a medal anyway it would be on bar yeah okay cool so i, I was just figuring out if how they uh, split the disciplines up even further into into each apparatus yeah so they you get an all around score winner so they the all around okay so you can so you can win all round you can win a specific yes yeah so you're not obviously limited to if you win this that's all you can win type of thing so there's an all-around medal up for grabs the best all-around gymnast and then there's individual apparatus so you can win bar beam floor vault okay and then as a team so sometimes like at the olympics if you qualify a team there's also then a team competition for the best team yes and do the do the world's top gymnasts tend to do like you compete all round or in one thing and just that thing, one apparatus and just that? In women's artistic gymnastics, yeah. it's more common to be an all round gymnast. It's you see mm, at least 95% of gymnasts are all round gymnasts because it's also being an apparatus specialist is, I think, a bit difficult in our, my opinion that even though, okay, you can be really good at one app, but it's also a lot of pressure to you have one competing opportunity on that one apparatus to and if it doesn't work it doesn't work type of thing but um it's weird though because with men's gymnasts men's artistic gymnastics you see a lot more apparatus specialists so there's a lot of gymnasts that literally only do like three apparatus because they have six apparatus or they'll just specialize in one apparatus and that's all they compete like your career you say they have six do they have the same four as you and two extra or are they different they different so they also have floor, they also have vault, and then they have rings. So I'm sure you heard of like the men's the hanging yes, rings. Yes, the rings. That, yeah, yeah. They have rings, they have pommel horse, so it's like yes. that horse thing. Um, they have P-bar, parallel bars, so the two bars next to each other. and they Instead have, of uneven. Instead of okay. uneven, and then they have a high bar. So it's like our bar, but except with the low rail. They just have one rail. Okay. So a lot of like, they don't have beam, I think men beam um <laughs> yeah but they, a lot of i think the men's apparatus are very like strength centered because okay. men are I think, naturally a bit stronger so things like rings parallel bars it's, it's 
lots of boobs and you need a lot of strength so for that. So that's, that's more strength focused yeah. for those. Okay. That's quite interesting, that difference. And like I mentioned earlier, that it's the one sport where it's not, you're just doing the replica in, in men's and women's. It's like, actually there are differences um, that aren't replicated across. So that's quite interesting. Uh, we, I think now we've spoken a lot about 2020 and you've explained to us the scoring, how it all works. But now I want to find out where it all started and why on earth you decided gymnastics. Because obviously there's this, there's a dream at some point to go to the Olympics. But before that, you have to decide you're going to do gymnastics. And maybe it's just something that started at school or, or whatever. But we want to hear that story now. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's a bit of an interesting story. Um, my parents came from a bit of a small community and... I think like 99% of South Africans did not even know what gymnastics was. Cause I mean, especially back then, it's, it's obviously gotten a lot bigger now in the media. And I think, um, it's a lot more commercialized getting there slowly. So, but then there was like nothing on gymnastics type of thing. So, but they actually had a friend that had a daughter in gymnastics. And at the time I was like six, but my mom always tells me that I was an absolute menace that I, they could not control me. Like I just had, I was this ball of energy that I was also very naturally agile, flexible, um, and just fearless. My mom said I would like do at like six years old, I was throwing like flips into the pool and off my bed she thought I was gonna break my neck and she was like this needs to stop um so they were like obviously their friends told them to maybe just put it put me in gymnastics as a hobby something to burn my energy and that's what it started off as at the time um but I loved it it was like love at first sight for me I started when I was six and then I actually stopped for like I think six months because I moved schools to Parktown and then the gym was too far and my mom was like oh no you'll just find another sport to do obviously when I got there, I was like, I still want to do gym. <laughs> so she found another gym to put me in, in Parkhurst at the time. And I started in like a levels program. So the basic recreational, but the coaches at the time actually saw something in me that they thought, you know, could go really far and actually told my mom to bring me back to the gym that I was at, which was Johannesburg Gymnastics Center because they were the best club in the country. And that, you know, they believed that I could go far and, Mom was like, okay, you know, took me back and the rest is history. I fell in love with it. And I, I think just, I want to highlight that history because I mentioned at the start, O-L-Y, the amount that goes into just those three little letters that you can now use at the end of your name for the rest of your life. You said your parents come from a small community. Starting off, you're in South Africa, which like we've been saying, not a lot of gymnasts have gone on to the Olympics from South Africa, from a small community where probably very few people <laughs> have heard of gymnastics. You then eventually go through like all of this, which we'll talk about the journey to, to even get to the Olympics, then the foot and then a personal best at the Olympics. So it is quite an incredible story that has gone into those three little letters now you've gone back to, uh, you said Johannesburg Gymnastics Center. Uh, at what point do you start believing that the Olympics is something that's possible? Is that something that came after a whole lot of competing over years? Was that something you've thought of from early on? I, that's the goal. I want to get there. So for me, um, when I came back to Johannesburg Gymnastics Center, also known as JGC, um, I was actually immediately put into the high performance stream. So the coaches at the club, obviously I saw, you know, I, I'd competed for a little while at that time. And they were like, no, okay, she has a bit of potential. So let's put her in. And I mean, when you get into the high performance stream, it gets pretty intense in terms of from like the age of like 10, you start training about five to six days a week already. Um, so it, it gets pretty intense pretty soon. And you already start building your way up that high performance stream. So you do all the high performance levels to eventually go into junior junior Olympic level and then senior Olympic level, which is the end. But I mean, by my first international competition, which was, I was like 11. So I was, I think, 10, 10 turning 11 at the time, or it just turned 11. It was to Serbia. It was like a friendly competition. I think when I came back from that, I didn't have the best competition, naturally so. But I came back with, a different level of drive and motivation that 
I wanted to see how far I could go, but I also had something inside me that believed I had a lot of potential to unlock that I wanted to try and get there. And I mean, something like the Olympics, I think was one of those things that were kind of like thrown around in the gym. I don't know how to say it, but we, we, we didn't really know what it was. It was just this like, like superior term. You just know, oh my gosh, it's the Olympic Games. You don't know what it is, but it's like, apparently it's just the best thing. You, you have to go there type of thing. But I think as I started to get older by 12, 13, we started to understand what the Olympics was. And I developed a deep dream to go there. Not, I mean, coming up in my career, we'd not witnessed one of our senior gymnasts go there. So as much as it was a dream of everyone, we were not sure that it was even possible. And that's why I said, I think it was this kind of blind, you know, faith, faithful dream that I had that I really wanted to go there, but I wasn't sure, is it actually possible? Because I'd never seen anyone do it from our club or from our country for that matter. So yeah, I mean, getting to the Olympics eventually was, it's definitely, I think, a um, aunt to childhood prayer of mine. That's amazing. And there are two aspects I want to look at. And I think it has an impact a lot on our South African sports. And that is having, firstly, it's having athletes to look up to. And then it's also the impact of your school. And what I think is quite interesting from a South African point of view in gymnastics for you there's not the same level as with other sports. I mean, we can use rugby as an example. There are hundreds of idols that people can look up to. Schools are basically high performance centers. Lots of schools foster great talent. You don't have to go to, in fact, no one goes to rugby, uh, goes to a club when they're in school. They'll play at their school. But for you, it's very different. You went to the best club in the country. Uh, and that's not saying there's no gymnastics at schools. There is, but it's not on the same level. And then the idols. So let's start with, people you looked up to and if there are any people that you watch gymnasts that you thought I want to be like them or you just thought you took inspiration from them? Um, I definitely think someone that I took inspiration from was a gymnast in my club at the time. Her name was Claudia Cummins. She um, went to the 2018 and 2014 Commonwealth Games and when I was a junior, she was my senior. So they, she was a part of the group that we really looked up to and aspired to be like. And I think for me, she was always a great source of inspiration. She was someone I trained with in the same gym. And um, as a little girl, you know, you look up to them and they like these superstars, you know, that have traveled the world at that age and have been to Commonwealth Games and all these things. And that was, but I knew obviously at the time she had not been to an Olympic Games, but it she was still someone that I think had also played a big role in inspiring me to, you know, motivating me to keep trying to go for that goal. Is it weird now that there'll be little girls looking up to you? Yeah, no, I did. The roles have definitely changed and reversed. Um, now being the senior of the gym, um, one of me and Avina actually currently and have been the oldest gymnast um, at Johannesburg Gymnastics Center now for the last couple of years. And yeah, we obviously have a lot of young ones beneath us and aspiring to be like us. And I think for me, it's, that's also been a big part of my journey is, yes, I have always had goals that I wanted to achieve, but another part of my personal goal was also to be a source of inspiration to um, the younger girls coming up. You know, we didn't necessarily have that level of representation that we could look up to and um, also to know that, you know, to show the younger girls that, these things are possible. You know, the things that we didn't think were possible are growing up are in fact possible. So don't be afraid to dream big because that's, I think, exactly what Naveen and I were doing our whole careers. We dreamed so big, we weren't sure if it was even going to materialize and that's exactly what it end ended up doing. So um, I like to see it as I've, Naveen and I have broken a glass ceiling to go a little bit above and also keeping that glass ceiling open, open to everyone coming beneath us that once we step down, they will continue to take the sport up. I think that's amazing. And now that there's this new generation of inspiration for younger gymnasts, it's really bodes well for the country and the future of gymnastics in South Africa. What do you think needs to be done at schools to foster this talent earlier and to create more talent so that South Africa can continue to compete? And one day we won't be saying, uh, gymnastics is a sport that South Africa has so few 
representatives in at the highest level? Uh, yeah, no, I definitely think it's a complex one. Um, there's a lot of complexities to it. I think, um, firstly, getting gymnastics into schools a lot more. And like you say, um, more of a competitive level of gymnastics. Because, yes, you know, there's um, gymnastics here and there in, I think, also most of the wealthier schools. But also it ties back into what gymnastics is, is that gymnastics is also an expensive sport. And I think that is just the downfall of it, that it's not like a soccer or rugby where you really just, if you can get a big field, you know, and some goalposts, you can already start harboring that talent. With gymnastics, there's so much equipment needed, you know, I mean, to uh, just to give you perspective, uh, just a gymnastics floor. That's just the one piece of apparatus, one piece of equipment is not anything less than a million rand. You know, so then you're looking at, okay, you're going to try and get it into more schools, but how? Yeah. You know, so below those quintile five and four schools, it's, yeah, it's, it's not going to happen. It really. can't happen. It's actually not possible. Yeah. And I think that's just the difficult thing, difficult thing about a sport like gymnastics. And the reason that, you know, for me, a I, club has played such yeah, a big role. You had, yes. If you wanted to go competitive and you wanted to get to an Olympic Games, you, the only way you were going to go is through a club. You had to go to a private club and, stick it out there and you know obviously pay the fees and um with us we obviously competing against many different athletes around the world and um one of the countries that i've actually trained in is germany where we trained with their national team and i mean you look at the difference where they are you supported on every level that it comes you know and they are looked after they train in the best world-class facilities they have everything at their disposal you know and then we obviously in a much different um, situation and circumstance where gymnastics is sadly obviously not a uh, very big and recognized or supported sport yet in the country so it doesn't have that level of funding and you know for us we really training in we have a very good facility but i mean compared to like what they have overseas it's nothing close to that yet we like at the best club in the country. You know what I mean? So it's, it's very different all around. Um, but your best bet at the moment, you know, is to obviously get into a club and work your way there. But I'm hoping in the future that that will definitely start to change. So what's your advice for the next Olympians coming out of South Africa? Maybe they're in school now, five, 10 years time. Um, well, four, eight years time, they'll be at the next or the next Olympics. What's your advice to them? I think a, um, a word of encouragement I'd like to give them is just to keep going. I think that was a big thing for me that for a long time in my career, um, a lot of people look at me and think that I was just always successful and just kept reaping all my successes. And it was, you know, like a breeze to the top, which it really wasn't. I, for many years in my career, I went through a lot of setbacks. I had you know, for my first like four years in junior Olympic level, I had just rubbish years. I picked up injury after injury. I was missing teams. I missed the 2018 Commonwealth Games. You you go through a, a lot of disappointments in order to get to the success. So, and I think that was something that kept me going that my mom always told me was you, your time will come. You will eventually reap this rewards of your hard work and you just need to keep sticking that through. And I think if there was ever a great showcase of that mentality, it was the six weeks before the Olympics and that amazing turnaround. Just before we get into the Super Sports Schools podcast quiz, I wanted to ask you, I've noticed you have the, the five rings yeah. on the inside of your arm there as a, as a tattoo, which will be with you forever. So it's obviously something that means a lot. I mentioned the three letters, the O-L-Y. And obviously no one can ever say it's it's 2024. Don't know what will happen in 2028, 2032. So what is it that you're looking to achieve in 2024 in Paris? Um, yeah, my biggest goal going into Paris, um, a very underrated overlook goal, I think by many, is to get there healthy <laughs> and in one piece. <laughs> that will already be an improvement. That will already be a win, an improvement to get there healthy in one piece. And already then, I think it's setting myself up physically and mentally um, for a much better competition. Um, and then to definitely the best 
and the most I can always ask for is to have a clean competition. And in gymnastics terms, basically, that means to have a competition without any major mistakes, without any falls, without any major um, changes or um, disruptions. And um, that is really what my main goal is. And from there on, I hope that that will be good enough to try and squeeze into an all-round final. Um, I do believe it's possible. It's the top 24 gymnasts in the world that get into the all-round final. Um, and based off of my improved placings over the last couple of years since the Olympic Games and the World Championships that I've been to, I've been improving my ranking every year. So that will, I, I, I think to myself, woman, I'm like, oh, it's a bit of, sounds a bit of a far-fetched goal. But then again, I'm like, I thought many things were far-fetched, the Olympics included. And yeah, I am going for a, a second one. So I don't like to throw things too far out the question for myself. And yeah, that is definitely the goal to get there and see what I can do. Well, that's an exciting goal to have, certainly. And we're going to be watching and hoping that you make that all-round final. We see you there. And I can say, I know, I've spoken to it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just think it's such an incredible story, like I've been saying. Uh, so I really do wish you all the best of luck for Paris 2024 and the journey to get there. Uh, competitions still to come. And what is going to be, I'm sure, a busy year. You might call it living your best life, but we call it Spur Cheeseburger Mondays because for only $74.90, Mondays become legendary when you can choose between 100% pure beef, succulent chicken, delicious soya, or tender rib cheeseburger, all served with Spur style crispy onion rings and golden chips. So when life gives you Mondays, enjoy a Spur Cheeseburger. T's and C's apply. Spur, people with a taste for life. But just before we let you go after this long chat, we have a quiz on the Supersport Schools podcast. You are only the second person to compete in it this year. So there is one person on the leaderboard who scored five. So how it works, you get 60 seconds, answer as many questions correctly as you can in those 60 seconds. I will, uh, some of the questions have options. Some of them are just, you need to say the answer. If you don't know the answer, just say pass and we'll go to the next question. So we've got a, a bunch of questions. If you don't know, say pass. Next question. Try and score more than five. Then you'll be, then you'll be top of the leaderboard for at least a week. Uh, but yeah, four, five, six. That's where we've been averaging in general, except for when we do our kind of really specific quizzes. Then there's some super high scores, but there are some Olympics and gymnastics questions in here, but it is a, an all-round quiz and unfortunately not in the gymnastic sense in all sports <laughs> all round right so okay. are, are you ready nervous. to play <laughs> okay yeah um, and everyone gets nervous and often the the top athletes and executives we've got from different sports companies they generally do the worst so <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel better when, Thank you, you, when you put you when you're going to put you uh, on the spot so caitlin are you ready to play the super sports schools podcast quiz i I think I am. I am. I'm you ready. are. <laughs> you are. With that O-L-Y at the end of your name, hopefully the Olympic questions <laughs> in school. Aren't, aren't too bad. But uh, 60 seconds on the clock. Your time starts now. Which team holds the record for the lowest total of 52 in the SA20? Pass. It's Pretoria Capitals. What is the name of the now banned gymnastics move performed by Olga Korbitz during the 1972 Munich Olympic Games? Dead loop or dead drop? Dead loop. That's correct. How many Grand Slams events are there in tennis? Five. It's four. Which country has won the most Olympic gymnastics gold medals? USA. It's Russia. In netball, how many points are awarded for getting the ball through the hoop? Two. It's one. Which South African is the 2024 UFC middleweight champion? Um, the, the circus. You're going to pass. Which country will host the next Rugby World Cup, Australia or New Zealand? New Zealand. That's Australia. Within 10 years, when was Olympics first competed at the Olympic Games? Um, Sorry, that's... Stop the clock. Stop the clock. I, I, I just asked you, when was Olympics first competed at the Olympic yeah, Games? Yeah, that sounds that's, like... That's, that's, a, that's bizarre from, <laughs> from me. I apologize. We will cancel that question. It was supposed to be gymnastics. Uh, so you can have a guess before we start the clock. When do you think gymnastics was first competed? 
1896. <laughs> what? <laughs> Almost a hundred years before. Okay, but uh, let's start the clock. We're, we're adding some seconds to the clock. We're restarting it now. True or false? The Supersport Schools app has more than 650,000 subscribers. It's correct. How many judges adjudicate each Olympic gymnastics event? 20. It's nine. <laughs> what is the name of the Gray College rugby mascots? Yeah, that's I, I don't know. <laughs> Tom Mix. That's terrible. You know what's crazy? I feel like I was always one off one or off. something. <laughs> I don't think we've ever had someone get one. Get no, no, no. Get two. <laughs> we've had someone get 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 two before, but every fifty-fifty except for the dead loop. You went the wrong way. I went the wrong way. That's insane. Uh, and usually I have good luck with these types of luck. things. Yeah. Well, I told you it puts people under pressure. Maybe we're just making the quizzes to a higher standard this year. So you're second on the leaderboard. We'll <laughs> see. Long, we'll fine. see how long that lasts. But you are there. Quite an interesting one. The most Olympic medals for gymnastics is I, I said Russia. It's actually the Soviet Union. Oh. So before it was Russia, but yeah. they, they're quite far ahead of the USA. Really? The USA is, is there, but yeah, they're still quite far ahead and the Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore. So that's so they crazy. Had some serious like, I think competitors since, then. Since do you know do you know who holds the record for the most gymnastics medals at the Olympics? Simone no, it's Larissa Latinina. What? Also a Soviet. How many, how many did she get? Because Simone's had like a million. <laughs> Simone was close, but Larissa Latinina is That's on top. Crazy! Oh She's, my word! She has nine gold medals, just oh, gold. Oh, okay, so, I know. Yeah, That's top it. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. Wait, what was? What's the name? Drikas Duplessis. Because <laughs> no, wait, I I saw it so much on social media, uh, and the name was like gone. Yeah. I see why people blank the pop quiz now and nine for seven. I always judge them. <laughs> So now you've now you've experienced yeah, I have it. A bit yeah. of passion for them. Well, there wasn't what twenty thousand rand on the line, so at least <laughs> just just your pride. Yeah. Uh, Caitlin, thanks so much for joining us on the Supersport Schools podcast to talk about your Olympics journey, how you got into gymnastics, and explaining it a bit to us. I think that's going to help us when viewing the Paris twenty twenty four. But yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was fun. This has been the Super Sports Schools Podcast, bringing you stories of our future stars, powered by Spurs Take Ranchers.